Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas. Welcome back to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and Ashley. Ashley, it's so fun that there's not a single delay. <laughs> we are in the same room. We're in the same room, breathing the same, same air. air with all my plants. Smelling the same coffee. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. I uh, know. It smells fantastic. <laughs> um, we're in town together doing some Dear Nikki Mama fun things, and it's such a pleasure to see you and sit it across is. the... We haven't done this in such a long so time. So long. This is bringing me back to like the conception of the podcast, yes. which is really fun. Yes. And we weren't quite sure how to operate... Um, audio visual um, technology, but we got there. Um, well, today we, you know, on the podcast, we sometimes have the enormous opportunity of interviewing NICU moms, hearing about their journeys and their stories. And then sometimes we get to interview experts mm-hmm. in the field of neonatology and obstetrics and uh, pediat- pediatricians. It's incredible that we we mm-hmm. have these wonderful guests who are so willing to come on. And that's who we have today. We have... Katie Taylor, who is the CEO and founder of Child Life on Call. And is it called the Child Life on Call podcast as well? Yes, that's exactly yes. what it is. Okay, gotcha. I didn't know if the was capitalized. Or <laughs> you know what? Now, is it? It's not. It's well, strike it from call. the record. I knew we'll I'd mess it. it up somehow. <laughs> Welcome. We're so grateful that you're here. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. I am, um, my whole journey and a big part of it is, uh, supporting families in the NICU. So I'm just so glad to meet you guys. Your energy is so <laughs> fun and, and to be here and share a little bit about child life specialists. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were just talking before the episode that we're based in the Midwest and we both had child life specialists mm-hmm. that were part of our NICU experience, but our, um, our podcast coordinator had never heard of one. And so I'm really excited to have you share about what a child life specialist is, what you do, what you don't do, because for some of us, it's something that we've never even heard of. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for, for being here and for the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so you're definitely not alone if you have never heard of a child life specialist before. One of the things we learn in our internships is like the elevator speech, so how to actually talk about what we do because we're constantly explaining our role. Even mm-hmm. in a hospital that has 25 child life specialists, there's still somebody there who doesn't totally get what we do. So maybe we'll be called the girl with the iPad or like, <laughs> do you blow bubbles all day? Did you? Are you a volunteer? So we, oh, yeah. we get it. You know, we get every end of the spectrum but the official answer is that we're psychosocial uh, and child development experts that work um, along the multidisciplinary team to help support patients and families during their entire hospitalization from preemie to 18 and then we actually do support children of adult patients as well so really kind of any of the complexities that come with healthcare. I can be running bingo in the playroom and then the next hour I can be in the trauma bay of the ER supporting a family. So we're kind of all over the place. Um, but NICU is very near and dear to my heart. Um, 
and I had the opportunity to start a NICU child life program down here in Austin, Texas. So um, it just changed my view on child life and our capabilities. And I, so I'm mm. so glad to be talking with you. Mm. And we don't have this on the questions, but I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, you've been, I think I read you've been doing this for 12 plus years. And so what was the inception or what was the idea behind creating Child Life on Call? Yeah, great, great question. So I was one of those um, child life specialists who, if you can imagine, there's a long a lot of a young adult females, um, and kind of this helping career, which you find a lot of nurses and teachers, um, and knew I wanted to become a mom. And I actually thought I wanted to be a stay at home mom and found out that's the hardest job in the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, like, absolutely not. I'm not cut out for that. Like I am so amazed by, uh, moms that can do that. So mm-hmm. I spent my son's first year at home, Um, but really had a transformative experience where I thought, oh my gosh, I miss child life so much. And now Mm -hmm. I feel like I have this new perspective as a parent to connect with families. Um, And so really child life on call was born from there, kind of my transformative experience and all of the things that you learn into motherhood and how um, there was an intense need to support caregivers and parents. As child life specialists, we, uh, we support and we practice family centered care. Um, but before becoming a parent, I was one of those child life specialists who was like, if mom and dad left the room and we could just play by ourselves, that's okay. You know, I was just Mm. nervous about a parent watching and now I'm the opposite. I am Mm. absolutely like, mom, let me teach you how to facilitate this. I'm just a fly on the wall here for support. Mm. So it really transitioned my personal practice as a child life specialist to go into supporting parents full on. Mm. That's really cool. And it's it's fun to hear your perspective on that because I think we both had relatively positive experiences with yeah. our mm-hmm. child life specialists. Mm-hmm. But there's still that element of, you know, as a NICU mom, you already feel like you aren't a, quote, normal mom. You don't mm-hmm. get to do normal mom things. And it can be really hard to share that role with another professional, even though you know that it's helpful. Yeah. It's hard to be taught how to play with your baby. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, oh yeah. this should be, this should come naturally to me. Mm-hmm. But now there's these wires and tubes mm-hmm. and sensory things. And so yeah. um, it's encouraging to hear your perspective of how it's not about me. It's about teaching parents how to connect with their kids in a way that feels natural to them. Yeah, and I think I I learned and saw that in the NICU too. And it took me my first three months in the NICU, I strictly was kind of an observational role because I had never been in there before. So I followed the um, nurses around, the physicians, the therapists. I spent a lot of time just talking with families um, before I really found out what my uh, child life role was going to be in our NICU. Mm. And so, yeah, I I saw that a lot too and um, really saw the opportunity um, to really reinforce with parents that their role is the most important one in the hospital, whether they're mm-hmm. at home sleeping at night or they're physically present, like they are the most important part of their baby's journey. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So maybe this is jumping ahead, but we know what child life specialists do, but what does that look like in the context of the NICU, you know, especially when the, they're babies, you know, so what yeah. does that look like? Yeah. Um, so one of the really interesting parts about um, transitioning from a pediatric role or adolescent role child life specialist to a NICU child life specialist is just the learning curve of um, 
understanding infant pain and preemie pain and the role that parents and child life specialists can advocate for pain management in the NICU. So, um, you know, can we use things like Emla cream that I would use with a three-year-old? How young of a baby can we use that on? What kind of soothing sounds can we use to decrease stimulation for the baby during a procedure? What um, area of the baby can the mom be holding while we do a procedure? So really kind of taking that, um, that role of like a whole approach of looking at top to bottom, mom, baby, dad, baby, doctor, and how can we make this pain management better for babies in the NICU. Um, the other thing is a lot of caregiver support, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of connecting families with programs that we have. Um, sibling support tends to be really huge. So navigating mm-hmm. how to support siblings that are still at home and then having parents who are living this kind of dual life, right? Of being in the hospital, but also having a kid at home and every time they leave the kids scream. So how can we help with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then really it's just the education part. I would say my favorite part of being a child life specialist in the NICU was just um, watching a parent go from completely overwhelmed and transform into feeling empowered. So mm-hmm. not knowing what to do or what to say or what to ask, but then being able to. And that's something I got to experience in the NICU, which was really powerful. So when you're thinking of, you know, alluded to how it's a little bit different for NICU families as it is for, um, than, than it is for pediatric families uh, in the hospital, what are, you know, some of the first things that you would say to these families? What were like, you know, what, what are some of the immediate challenges you know they might face and how would you help them address them? Yeah, that's a really good question. So it kind of depends on, I guess, the acuteness or critical nature of the family stay. Um, in those first 24 to 48 hours, I typically find my role in like looking at the mom and being like, have you drank water today? Like, is the wheelchair you're sitting on, do you have a pillow underneath you? Like you're sweating profusely. Like how can we help you take a break? So like just looking at that mom who has just gone through a whirlwind experience in delivery and is now on another side of the hospital or surrounded by all these people with all this fear. And so Mm -hmm. in those first moments, I really try to be just a sense of calm and that person that they can look at and be like, this is too much or what's going on. Just that safe person there in those 24 to 48 hours. Cause I would say that's one of the most challenging challenging parts. Um, and when looking back on NICU stays, what parents say is like, I don't even remember what was happening. So, um, I've had this conversation with a couple of parents who were like, you know, I didn't like being in the NICU. I didn't like being there those first 24 hours. I Mm -hmm. had just had a C-section, but it feels terrible to say that I didn't like being with my baby. Yeah. And you know, I just reaffirm for them, like, we've got your back. Like we are, there is no judgment whether you want to be in your room sleeping because you just had a huge surgery or you're here at the bedside and you want to be helping. Like we have got your back either way. And just communicating that to, to parents is uh, one of my biggest roles in the beginning. And then kind of moving forward from that initial shock phase is really helping them digest and understand medical information. Um, Mm. I, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before that parents go through med school, right? In like the first 48 hours learning all of these beeps. And um, I've interviewed a mom before and she, she had told me that in the NICU, she kept thinking they were saying her son had pneumonia, um, but really he had a pneumothorax. So eight days in they say he has pneumonia and she's like I know that's why we're here but it's just that 
if I can bridge the gap between what the medical team is saying and what parents are understanding and just identify those misconceptions to help mm. educate, that that's another big part of my role. If you are a longtime listener of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast or you have found yourself enjoying this episode, we would greatly appreciate a review on iTunes. Reviews on Apple and other platforms help other mamas and friends just like you find our podcast, help boost us so that we are more available and accessible to others, and they let us know that you're loving what you're hearing too. So we love to hear the stories that you're connecting with. We love to hear how the episodes resonate with you, and having that review is a great way for us to get a really tangible feel of how this podcast resonates with your heart. So what's one thing that you wish you could communicate to every NICU mom who's working on building a bond with with her baby? I mean, it just feels so um, unreal. I think, you know, like Ashley said, it doesn't feel like we're their real mom at that point. And also, we're they're so small. Even if they're term babies, they're so small and so fragile. So we're really afraid. So what are some what would you say to a mom in that situation? I would say that there's no wrong or right way to kind of enter your pace into motherhood. Um, Bonding is just a word for relationship. So even Mm. if you're just sitting there thinking about your, your baby, right, that thought process is strengthening your bond and your relationship with the baby. So we can take Mm. it as far as to saying just you being at home in the shower, thinking about your baby is actually strengthening your bond to your baby. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important. And all the way up to helping to hold for procedures and changing diapers and doing vital signs um, as you get more comfortable. And I think that there's a large, um, there, there are many different paths that you can do to get there. And I think it really comes from the medical team empowering families and teaching them how to do it. And um, parents knowing there's no judgment um, on either side. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's one of the biggest bonding things. And I think asking questions and um, giving yourself the space to not know and ask um, and, and really learn and be open also can help uh, you find what your role is specifically in all these um, interventions that seem really, really overwhelming. And, you know, I also reinforce too, it's this is totally not what you expected. You're grieving mm-hmm everything that you thought this moment was going to be like and now it's totally different so if if it's not coming natural it really shouldn't (laughs) right Mm -hmm. um but let's find ways that we can help you feel like you're bonding with your baby and I I think just even thinking about your baby is strengthening a bond Mm -hmm. I'd never thought about it like that before Mm -hmm. yeah I love that I love that illustration and so maybe you know along that thread like what are some you know, simple, tangible things that a NICU mom can do to to better bond with her baby physically or if she feels more like a bystander in her child's mm. care. You know, what are some tangible things that she can do to feel empowered, you know, as a part of, you know, being, quote, the real mom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, what I think I hear you asking is, like, what are the physical things we can do with baby that increase that physical bond Mm -hmm. right um and so I think the first thing to do is really find and try to champion for that nursing relationship that you feel comfortable with and ask for them to be your primary nurse Mm -hmm. a lot of NICUs do Mm -hmm. it in different ways my NICU um 
it was very much like asking them to go to prom. Yeah. <laughs> the parent, the parent would have to be like, Hey, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? Um, we really like you <laughs> and we want you to be our primary nurse. Oh, that's so and sweet. Then, um, the primary nurse could say either yes or no, depending on had they just had a primary patient for a year or, you know, were they moving to night shift? So, I would say find that relationship with a nurse that you trust and you can be like, hey, tell me exactly what to do and how to how I can help with this diaper change. Or when the EKG text comes and puts um, things on, what are my roles? But tangible things you can do is always um, holding and containment hold. So putting your hand at the top of the baby's head and the bottom of the baby's feet is so impactful and makes such a big difference. Um, also play the playing white sound, white, um, white noise and soothing sounds. Um, but one thing to, to take note of is when your baby is actually in the isolate, sounds are magnified. So if you put any kind of sound inside the isolate, that can actually be too loud, but there's apps you can download that tell you about the different decibels, but white noise outside, um, of the isolate mm. can really be helpful. Um, singing softly, um, and, reading books and um, asking your nurse to put your baby in your lap and asking for kangaroo care. Um, It feels pretty mean that nurses and um, the team aren't just like, here, hold your baby as much as possible. Like they should be helping to facilitate that. But sometimes they have so much on their plate. You really have to be the one to ask for those physical moments and what can I do? And then usually they're just more than happy to help you get involved. But you do have to take the leap and ask sometimes, even though that feels a bit backwards. Mm-hmm. Based on all the research we know about how important that is, you'd think that would be our number one priority all the time, but it's just it's just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how um... – how a parent's presence, even if it's not physical touch, if it's vocal, you know, communication, or sometimes even just like the presence of their heart being, being near or being able to smell their, their lactation or just any of those things, how that can be beneficial to our babies. Um, um, absolutely. I would say lactation cloths, right? So we say the sweatier, the better as soon as you're done (laughs) with, yeah, Yeah. you know, like as soon as you deliver birth, like just get all that sweat from underneath your boobs and all over the place. And we can put that in baby's crib. Um, reading is really important. So one of the things I had a lot of misconceptions before I walked into the NICU and it was my thought that each baby should have their own individual room, right? So parents could kind of unwind and relax And the way our NICU was set up, we had about 20 private rooms and about, I don't know, 50 open bays. So just isolates that are separated by curtains. And I was like, wow, we're really doing these families a disservice by having this open bay. And as soon as I said that, the speech therapist, she said to me, she was like, you know what? Research has actually found that babies who um, are in this bay system have better language development because they're hearing people talk more. Mm -hmm. And so that just, that really like opened my eyes up to be like, you know, maybe it's not always about being isolated. And sometimes that's great for the family and that's important for the baby and there's no other choice. And we can make that work, but there are good parts to, to actual language development and speaking to your baby, um, no matter how small or strange it may feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my biggest roles is, um, I, y'all, I just had the best job in the NICU. Like I would go hold babies. And, <laughs> 
I mean, I would read to them and then I would write down on little notes for the parent when they came in that day and said, we read these three books, um, just as a way for, for parents and caregivers to know that we're taking care of your whole baby, um, you know, inside and outside emotionally and physically, um, when they're not able to be there. Mm-hmm. Another question that wasn't on our list, but I think comes up from that is say you have older kids at home, or we live in an area where there are sometimes rural families whose homes with their older kids or jobs are four hours, five hours away from the hospital. And so what are ways that you support those families so that they can continue to build bond knowing that they can't always be there? Yeah, I um, I have two, two things that I really like about this. One is something that our NICU practice that I love, which is called a tuck-in call. So before, um, either it's every night, if you can imagine what bedtime looks like, the parents get a tuck-in call, and that's that consistent call that's not about medical, or it could be an update, but it's a consistent call to talk about this is what's happening right now, right before bedtime, before you go to sleep, before baby goes to sleep for the night. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it was dependable, and it just feels like, yeah, this is a baby that's getting tucked in for bed, and and that's what you want for your baby. The other thing is just... Um, leaving a journal in the baby's room or next to the baby's bay and communicating with that. So for uh, families that had siblings at home, so the parents would not be able to come in as much. Um, They had other kids to help take care of. I would send letters home for the kids to write back to the doctors and then the medical team would write their answers. And so it was almost kind of like a pen pal situation, but that really just helped bridge the gap between this kind of two worlds of being at home with your kids, but wanting to be there and how can we connect the two. I love those. Those are so sweet. Mm-hmm. The tucking calls, so Isn't cute, that so sweet. Oh, it's like it's time for tucking, yeah. and oh, I and these you, these are things that any mom right could put ask for of a child. Any specialist. mom could ask mm-hmm. for, and you know, you might be the mom that starts tucking calls for that whole unit, and now every family cute. is going to get a tucking call. Like you really <laughs> have the power to to make change in your NICU just by asking simple questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> and maybe this is pretty like obvious, but um, you know, how does your job differ than like say a social worker? Because I mm, think when we yeah. think of like supporting parents in the NICU, we think of a social worker, but not often do you think about like, oh, it's about supporting relationship with mom and baby. So could you talk a little bit about how your your role is different than that? Yeah, I think the the key is the relationship between um, the child life specialist and the social worker. So we had one social worker for 80 beds, which is just wow. not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, she really was having to do a ton of damage control every day with CPS cases and payments and um, setting up um, therapies after visits. And she's so... she's the smartest, most lovely woman I've ever met, but she was completely overworked. So um, she would do her initial assessment and she'd be like, hey, Katie, I really think this is a mom who could use some child life support and we would just communicate in that way. Um, And then back and forth too, if I was able to pick on something that I was like, this may be more in your realm, um, we would just kind of trade off in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think child life specialists differ because we are not therapists, right? But we Um, If it needs to go to therapy, we can um, connect families with different resources. Um, 
but uh, and then the social worker can also help with that case management type stuff so there's it's if you imagine a venn diagram there's a lot of shared opportunities and i think it's the relationship between the team um mm-hmm. i was very lucky to have someone who we very much trusted each other um with sticking to our roles and and um finding a lot of overlap too yeah oh that's great I think many of us are familiar with child life specialists in the NICU or in hospital settings. Um, My daughter was hospitalized last year, and we blew a lot of bubbles um, to help her. Right? (laughs) Must have been a respiratory. Yes, it was a a respiratory (laughs) infection, Um, and it was it was really it was fun. I think she thought that the child life specialist was just there to be like her play friend. Um, So, yes, love it. Um, But what about after NICU? Because there is so much of the NICU that feels surreal. We talk about it all the time, but you get through it. You're in fight or flight. And then all of a sudden, all of your medical team goes away. You're home mm-hmm. alone with this teeny tiny baby. Uh, and all of your emotions, your hormones start to reset. Life changes drastically. Uh, and a lot of our moms struggle with that transition. How can mm-hmm. child life specialists play a role then? Yeah. Oh, such a good question. I hear from families a lot, like, can we take you home? Or, <laughs> right. um, and that's actually exactly why I created the Child Life On Call mobile app, um, which we just launched in January. And so it's to expand child life services beyond discharge to families. And, you know, one of the things when, if I would cover in the ER and I had a family come in, they'd be like, oh, we were here in the NICU. I'm like, okay, we have there are so many other layers that we need to consider with this family then, whether it's the beeping from the monitors and a little bit of PTSD for both mom and dad and baby, or it's, you know, having someone come in and touch your baby when that was so difficult to process when you were in the NICU. So it's almost like having this whole other lens because you're exactly right. If you've spent time in the NICU from then on for both mom, dad, and baby, future healthcare experiences are always going to come back to that that feeling you had in the NICU, which Mm -hmm. never leaves you, you know, Mm -hmm. you can get comfortable with it and understand it, but it never leaves you. So one of the child ways that child life specialists can support families after discharge is reinforcing kind of the bonding and caregiving developmental play is really big for us. So, um, how do you play with your baby with a G tube or Mm -hmm. what do signs of overstimulation look like, or how can we make food time more, more fun? Um, and then especially with siblings, Um, They may be afraid that next time baby goes to the hospital because they're sick, they're going to stay there for another 100 days because that's their experience. Or they're afraid that mom and dad are going to have to spend the whole time there and um, their world is going to change again. So really working on that whole family system and the different roles and jobs that um, and explanations that need to come. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with your profession, you're very comfortable with, you know, understanding medical terminology, specialized appointments and that kind of thing. But maybe for a new NICU mom listening who is recently graduated or is graduating soon from the NICU and finds themselves feeling really overwhelmed with all of the specialist appointments, potential procedures, all of that kind of stuff. What encouragement or advice would you give her as she kind of embarks on this second chapter of, of the life as a NICU mom? Yeah. Well, definitely to be to listen to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. <laughs> um, 
One of my favorite parts of podcasts is it's just this incredibly passive way that you get to find community and connection mm-hmm. without having to give a whole lot. Right. So yeah. I think there's a lot of different, um, especially for medically complex kids, you can listen to Child Life on Call, the Rare Life podcast, We oh, Are Brave yeah, Together, life. just mm-hmm. so many amazing parents out there who are doing just that. Um, the, the second thing is that I find it to be very unfair, but you are your child's best medical historian mm-hmm. and you can't, you can expect for your pediatrician to be the next best, but likely you know it all better than anybody. And that's a ton of pressure, but the pressure comes off the more you write it down. So the more you write it down, you keep active notes. Um, you, we have families that come in and they're like, this is our, this is our binder mm-hmm. and this is everything you need to know. And then that way it's written there. And you can give it to the medical team and you get, you get to focus on your baby, Mm -hmm. um, and supporting that emotional support. So because you are the role of the historian and understanding, um, your baby best, writing it down can really be a relief to kind of just say, okay, it's here now. And, and I know that I know it, but I don't have to know it as well as I think I need to know it right now. I Mm -hmm. can reference back. Yeah. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. That's so brilliant. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially because, like you mentioned, when you get into those medical situations, your PTSD kicks in, Mm -hmm. and the ability to think super clearly Mm -hmm. is oftentimes out the window. Right, all your blood flows in your toes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So having it already written out and kind of giving Mm -hmm. yourself time to prepare, yeah, gives you permission to just be present with your baby rather than feeling like you have to also manage your trauma at the same time. Amen. Which is and I, I had a, a mom tell me once, actually Effie, who hosts the Once Upon a Gene podcast, she um, gave herself a weekly pass. She would go eat chips and queso and margarita by herself, and then she would go to Target. And she said for some reason, like, and her mom would come over to watch um, her son during nap time. So it was like the baby wasn't awake mm-hmm. and in need of something. She got away, but then she would come back, like, renewed and, like, ready to be like, yes. <laughs> but, like, you know, that time to herself pouring in, before you can pour out is so important. And mm-hmm. I know you guys know that too, but if you're hanging by a thread, everybody's hanging by a thread. Right. right. Well, and I think what you gave moms permission to do throughout the episode is um, there was no shame if a mom wasn't at the NICU. Mm-hmm. I think as NICU moms, we always fear that we're being judged and maybe we've mm-hmm. had comments made to us too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very sure. real as well. But throughout the episode, I heard you say, like, even if you can't be there, even if you have other kids at home, even if you need to go get margaritas and chips before your next oh, cares, you know, yes. that you do. you're not seen as less than a mom, that your bond isn't any less significant, that mm-hmm. you're still an important, you know, you are the important role in your child's care. And so to any moms listening that find themselves in the NICU, know that it's okay to take a break. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I would say overwhelmingly, like if I'm doing a tour of the NICU and someone's like, where are all the parents? I'm like, you shut up right now. Like, you have no fucking clue what they have been. Through, yes. right? like, you know, like I'm very, yeah. most of us are so protective of like, right. you have no yeah. idea. <laughs> Don't you come in here and have judgment. You can get out. Yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. Yes. It's, yeah. It, it's so interesting, but you're right. There's absolutely, um, if you think about it like a web and, and this is great for child life because your patients are the babies, obviously, but also it's the parents. 
-hmm. and the grandparents and um, the network of people after they go home because they'll share these skills and and this insight with those people and the siblings of these little kids, right? It's it's very powerful and it it can be transformational for an entire family. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot about, you know, the, the fact that trauma is real for our families, but what you're doing is you're going to that inciting moment and you're creating all of these, um, what are those, those old firefighters? They catch people out of windows with trampolines. Remember that? Oh yeah. You're the trampoline holders. (laughs) You know what I mean? I love that. You're creating, you're creating cushion and space for people Mm -hmm. where they, they didn't have it before. Um, I think that's great. I think that every hospital in America should have 18 U's. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. Well, we can settle with them having the Child Life On Call app. Yes, absolutely. Kind of the on-demand child life support and education. And um, we've got a special place for NICU families there where um, they say ways I bonded with baby today. And Mm -hmm. thinking about baby is a checklist, you know, so it's like... Um, there's places to track symptoms and pain and write your questions for the doctor because really um, so a lot of that stuff is you, you want something to do when you're sitting at the bedside, mm-hmm. right? And it's not a touch time, um, but you still want to be there. Mm-hmm. So how can you how can you do that? I love, too, that it's um, more social-emotional focused rather than medical mm-hmm. focus because mm-hmm. there's a lot of apps out there that are like, do you want to know the definition of a bradycardia event? Like, no, I don't, because that's scary. Right. Um, but yeah. this is really tangible and real, and maybe grounding mm-hmm. is, is great for parents. Mm-hmm. So can you also share a little bit about the podcast as well and any other resources Child Life on Call might have? Oh, yeah. Well, it sounds like we have very similar missions with our podcast. Um, I had an experience um, for me. I was supporting a mom at the bedside and she had a three week old with meningitis, which earns you a 21 day stay. Mm. And she was just, I remember like so vividly, she was in the chair holding her baby. The only light came from like that blinking light of the IV pump. And she looked at me and she said, just tell me someone else has gone through this before. And that's when I was like, I wish I could just put in your ears a story. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where Child Life on Call was born. So we have over 125 stories from vast different diagnoses from RSV to conjoined twins to NICU stories, um, rare diseases, um, you know, loss of a parent. So all of those situations that you just want to hear somebody else go through. Mm-hmm. And it's really just, I am, I'm really quiet during our interviews because, um, as you know, parents sharing stories is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where the podcast was born. Cool. I love that. Ugh, I have goosebumps. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because now I want chips and queso <laughs> or because you have beautiful insight and wisdom and also really beautiful hair color. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. I love it. We will definitely make sure to link all of the ways to connect with you and download the app and everything in our show notes. But is there any um, final words of encouragement that you would offer a NICU mom listening today? Oh, I'm trying to think. (laughs) Um, I would just say uh, you may not have a child life specialist in your unit. Um, and that is pretty common. I think we're growing more and more and expanding to the NICU space, but please feel free to reach out to me. And I have a lot of local, um, relationships and can help connect you with either a virtual child life specialist, or maybe there's a child life specialist in your hospital, but they're just not in the NICU yet. And we can facilitate that relationship. So if you think child life would be helping you while you're in the NICU or after, feel free to reach out. Mm. 
love that beautiful so cool thank you guys well no thank you so much for yeah i know sorry you can't really see us <laughs> y'all are so cute i just really want to co-host <laughs> it is pretty fun it is pretty fun um but thank you so much for being here with us today it was just an honor to hear more about your work and really just giving moms permission i think one thing i hear i felt like i heard a resounding throughout the episode was that it's okay to receive help I think Mm -hmm. so much, especially when you feel like you're not a normal mom, you're having to ask to hold your baby. The last thing that feels natural is to receive help from another person about how to bond with your baby. But I hope that any NICU mom listening here hears how how life-giving this could be, Mm -hmm. how freeing this could be to have an advocate in your corner that gives you that boost of confidence that you know your baby best. We're just Mm -hmm. here to help guide you along the way. So Nikki Mama, you do not have to do this alone. There are organizations like Child Life on Call who are there to support you as well as organizations like ours that are here to support you. This sisterhood and this network of um, NICU support is very vast and beautiful mm-hmm. and lovely. And it's so, really cool. Yeah, It's so cool. It's so cool. But um, thank you again, Katie, for being here. To the NICU mamas listening, we love you. We will catch you guys again soon. But always know that you know your baby best. We'll catch you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.